And that reflects that attitude, that, that worldly attitude of, well, it's my body, it's my rights, it's my life, it's my money, and I don't want to have to deal with sacrificing any of that for the sake of raising a snotty-nosed kid. Any motive that views children as a burden rather than a blessing is wrong. Period. Don't use this episode as proof positive for whatever you believe mm-hmm. and say, okay, these guys said this, I think it makes sense, so we're going forward with it. You just have people who are just acting like pigs on both sides coming together just to fight. And and you got to recognize if you're trying to have a genuine conversation when you're going into those, is that person acting like a pig? And if so, it's probably best just to stay away. Welcome to New Theology, where we keep doctrine in its place. I'm Jeremy in Utah. And I am Ken, apparently blind now in Indiana. <laughs> yeah, maybe you can play piano really well now that you're uh, blind. I wish it came with that, but not so much. Well, today we are going to be doing a little bit of follow-up from our last episode, finishing out that conversation about convictions and preferences, rounding out some thoughts on that. And then we're also going to be talking about a couple of areas where you will have convictions or preferences, a couple of really gray areas that uh, should hopefully provoke your thinking and make you consider things that perhaps you haven't considered before, because these things will come up in your life in one way or another, and it's good to think through these things. So we're going to jump into these gray areas and see what we can do. Maybe we can stir up some dust and... uh, and then walk away. So that's the plan for today. Pretty ambitious, I know. You ready, Ken? Oh, I'm ready. Neither Bethel nor Hillsong meet the biblical definition of a true church. Did you know that Jesus was born again? Is his view heretical? If it isn't, then there's no such thing as heresy. It's not just a black and white issue. There's an issue, there's a question of moderation and how damaging and how harmful things are. Not every act of divine revelation is equal in authority. Angelic forces, angelic reinforcement. I mean, it's, it's hard to even respond to that, isn't it? It's, it's mind-numbing, it's blasphemous. When the apostles use the word atonement, they do not depict an angry God. It's cryptic. It's watered down. It has nothing to do with the judicial aspect of the Christian gospel. The most important of all doctrines is that the Bible is the word of God. They have different ideas than you do. You don't have to automatically kick them out of the kingdom. All right. Well, before we get going on today's topics, um, Ken, your eyes have tried to destroy themselves. That is correct. You woke up today and your eyelids said, it's going to be a bad day. Yeah. And it has been a rough day. <laughs> Why are you wearing sunglasses indoors? We're assuming you're not hungover. Correct. So, so what's, what's going on? Yeah. So uh, apparently when I sleep sometimes, if I am particularly exhausted, my eyes forget to close themselves all the way at night. And so they don't blink and they dry out. And then when I wake up in the morning and I blink... There's a thin protective layer that covers the, uh, you know, the cornea and your retina and your eye. And when I blink, it just kind of rips that off. And it's kind of painful. 
leaves you with blurry vision, uh, sensitive to bright light, which is why I'm wearing the sunglasses right now, is because of the uh, just the light from the screen uh, bothers the eye. So went to the eye doctor today. They got me fixed up. I'll be good as new in a couple of days, but in the meantime, a little painful. So mm-hmm. got a new regimen to help uh, try to prevent that in the future. Oh, exciting stuff. Guy. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and if you had smell a vision, you would be able to smell what I'm dealing with today, which is a new air freshener that uh, is supposed to be wood scented. It doesn't really smell like wood. It smells nice. It just doesn't really smell like wood. Um, and it's so strong. I had to crack my window open here. It's starting to give me a little bit of a headache. Oh, dear. That's rough. <laughs> but not as bad as my eyelid ripping off uh, part of a protective coating on my eye. So, yeah, you know, we, we've all got our vices that we're dealing with. So I guess yeah. so. Okay. Well, um, we are not doing an interview this week, obviously. If you've noted, uh, our general pattern is to do interview, non-interview, interview, non-interview. And we're doing back-to-back non-interviews because we want to follow up on last week's conversation about convictions and preferences. Um, are we ready to jump into that conversation? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's do it. Yeah. I was talking to my wife this morning after she listened to the episode, and she brought up some good thoughts that I thought, man, uh, I wish we would have hit these in the episode itself. Um, she said that it's perhaps easy for us to confuse immediate conviction, like the feeling I shouldn't be doing this with an informed conviction, which is I'm choosing not to do this based on an informed conscience before God. And in that conversation last week, we talked about how a preference is something that can just come up through your tradition, how you were raised, uh, even in your flesh, uh, in utter ignorance. Preferences just exist. We just have them. Whereas convictions are things that um, we develop from Scripture. And um, we are informed and we have counsel from God's people on these things. And what my wife's bringing up here is how it kind of leads into organic convictions based on study of the Word of God, generally speaking. That as you're studying the Word, convictions sort of develop and then you have immediate reactions. You have impulse reactions based on what you've learned from the Word of God, and you might not even realize it, which is an interesting phenomenon that we didn't really address in that last episode. Yeah, and I think it's actually, it's a really good point to bring up because, you know, this is part of the reason why we always stress how important it is to, you know, for each believer to be engaging with God's Word regularly, and not just being the only time that you that you feed on the Word of God being on a Sunday morning at your church, but that you're personally engaged in in personal Bible reading and Bible study, because over time, there is that aspect, there is that, that process that begins to take place where you just begin to absorb the wisdom of God's Word over time as you are regularly engaging with it. You may not necessarily remember everything that you read every day. You may not necessarily always have 
you know, a, a deep, you know, what feels like a really deep or uh, eye-opening or just life-changing study every single day. But over time, the continued exposure to God's Word does begin to have an effect upon your heart and your life as we become increasingly transformed according to the renewing of our mind, as, as Paul writes about in Romans chapter 12. Yeah, one of the things that this got me thinking about when Melissa brought it up is the danger of confirmation bias that we can have with Scripture. So, because there are lots of people out there who read their Bibles on a regular basis, who also have lots of preferences in life that they think are based on the Bible, but since they've never done a full uh, study on the subject, they're kind of left with, um, these are my preferences, and I'm pretty sure the Bible supports them, and just leave it at that. So, for instance, again, the one that we always pick, alcohol, because it's just the easiest. Um, there, there are people out there who say, okay, my preference is not to drink. My preference is that uh, leadership at my church doesn't drink, and, you know, really preferably everybody in the church just abstains from drinking. And I know that the Bible has lots of warnings about alcohol and says things about alcohol that, like, stay away from it. Therefore, it's it's a conviction of mine. Well, you're, you're kind of looking at Scripture with a confirmation bias based on what you want it to say, because even though there are going to be passages that talk about alcohol and that, okay, it's a dangerous substance kind of way, there are, there's also, uh, there are also passages that talk about it positively, and there are no laws in Scripture about avoiding alcohol altogether. And so... What often happens is you'll meet a brother or sister in Christ, or you'll have an issue come up in your church, and you'll need to study it more in depth, and perhaps at that point, your conviction will shift. Um, So we just need to be careful in saying we have this conviction when it's actually still just a preference that (laughs) we've, uh, you know, looked at the Bible with a confirmation bias saying, well, the Bible backs up my preferences, when you actually never did do a deep dive on that. And, and that's really hard to parse out, but that's something we have to be aware of, I think. Maybe we need to uh, identify a new word for the kind of the in-between there. So there's preference, then there's whatever this middle category is that we just <laughs> described that's kind of based on the intuition, gut reaction, based off of what mm. you think the Bible has taught mm. over time without actually having studied it, and then there's the actual conviction. So yeah. maybe we'll have to think about that a little bit more. Well, and, and one last thing that my wife brought up was the question, is it wrong or foolish to lack biblical conviction on third column issues? And again, when we talk about third column, we're talking, or we're making reference to the chart, which you can find at dotheology.com slash chart. These matters of conscience, is it wrong to lack a biblical conviction? Is it foolish? And... My response to her was, you know, you don't have to have an informed conviction on everything. And in fact, it's impossible for us mm-hmm. to do that because it's really that. There's how do you make issues. a comprehensive Yeah. How do you make a comprehensive list of doubtful things? You just can't do it. But embracing ignorance willfully is always inferior to pursuing wisdom. The message of Proverbs is get wisdom, get understanding. And when we look at a topic and say, ah, I'd just rather live in my ignorance and do what I've always done or whatever. That I think we can say that's foolish. I think we can say that that's inferior to doing a, a study of what Scripture has to say. Um, not saying you have to make a list of all the doubtful things out there and figure out your stance on each one of them, but as they come up, for sure, you need to really look to inform your conscience. Yeah, and these are, you know, we're talking about things that's, you know, your, your conscience is going to inform you about some of these things as well, and 
we're not talking about the kinds of preferences like, oh, Jeremy, you like the you like the Cardinals and I like the Cubs. Right, and we're we're not <laughs> we're not yeah. saying that we need to. You need to do a, a a biblical deep dive on whether or not you ought to support what baseball team. Now we're we're talking mm-hmm. about things that are gonna have an impact upon your conscience in the midst of that. Yeah, I mean, um, schooling is another one mm-hmm. where, like, for a lot of parents out there, I think it's just their preference <laughs> uh, to send their kids to some sort of institution, whether it's a public school, private school, whatever it may be. Um, and they've never done a deep dive in scripture to see what, what their role perhaps is in this. And I'm not saying there's a clear right and wrong because there's obviously not, but they've never even studied it out to see if their conviction might be shaped by scripture or be Mm -hmm. changed by scripture. And so they're just doing what they've always done. And there are parents who later regret that. There are yeah. parents who, who look back and say, I wish we would have done homeschooling or made an effort here, made an effort there. So we shouldn't just rest in our ignorance, but instead we should pursue wisdom, pursue understanding. Yeah, and one more thing with that is, you know, you mentioned the, the danger of intentionally choosing ignorance. One motive for that could be fear. You're afraid to find out that you're going to have to change your life. Because Uh if you do a little bit of study, you find out, oh, actually, the Bible does have some wisdom to offer in this area, and it's it's going to be something that's uncomfortable for you. And going back to our last episode, that's a sinful motive. Right. We talked about fear as a motive for our preferences, and that's a sinful motive. Yeah. But hey, you know, as long as I'm just ignorant, ignorance is bliss, and I don't have to worry about it, and I can just do whatever I I want. Hmm. No. That's wrong. <laughs> yes. That's right. We have rolled up the newspaper and we're whacking you. Squirting you with a, a, a spray bottle. <laughs> so uh, and anything else uh, that we should round out that, that conversation with? I mean, it's really an unending conversation because yeah, this is all of life. But I, I thought those thoughts would be helpful to bring up. I think we've yeah. addressed enough perhaps for now. Yeah, I think it's helpful in... in I don't know. I am curious to, to to try to think through a little bit more if there's a, a third word that we can use for that kind of middle column. I I'm gonna make a note to myself to think about that a little bit more because that that could be helpful. And if you're listening and you have something that you want to contribute to this conversation, feel free to reach out to us. Show at dotheology.com. Send us a tweet at dotheology. Facebook message. Yeah, we love to hear from you. So now jumping into two scenarios where we can apply convictions versus preferences and see what scripture might have to say on these issues. Let's, uh, let's crack this open here and talk about intentional childlessness. So um, the scenario that we're setting up here is a specific one. We're talking about a Christian couple. Okay. So uh, a Christian married couple, this, this, these are important adjectives. A man and woman who are actually married, who are Christians, who are perhaps able to have children, maybe they don't even know because they've chosen not to try. They've chosen to use uh, whatever kind of contraceptive works for them to avoid the possibility of a pregnancy willfully, intentionally. Um, first thing we need to ask is, is this a sin issue? Second thing we need to ask is, how would the Scriptures shape our conviction? If the answer is no, if it's not a sin issue, then how would the Scriptures shape our conviction on this? So, um, (laughs) 
right, let's let's get into this, Ken. <laughs> let's use one of our feet to step into this arena oh, and uh, get going. Well, let's let's just start by uh, kind of laying out the the possible options here as far as where we could land. There's there's one camp that says it is wrong to ever choose intentionally to not have children. Now, whether or not God blesses you with children, that's that's a separate question. But for you to intentionally make that choice, no, I am not going to have any children, there is a, a camp that says, no, it is, it is always wrong to choose that option to go down that road. Uh, on the other side, there's another camp that might say, you are completely at liberty to make whatever lifestyle choice that you want to make with that. That is fully and wholly up to you, and nobody needs to give you any kind of of pushback or anything on that. It is 100% your decision. It's your life, all that sort of stuff. Then there's probably a third camp that is going to be a little bit in between there where the issue of trying to apply biblical principles and saying, well, we can't say that it's always wrong— but the Bible seems to have a general direction that is good for, I don't know, is applicable to most families. So, so let me give some examples um, of these positions. Al Mohler, at least in October of 2003, <laughs> fit into <laughs> the first ago. camp. Yeah, it's been almost 20 years, but uh, in October 2003, he published an article where he said, Christians must recognize that this rebellion against parenthood represents nothing less than an absolute revolt against God's design. Strong statement. Yes. Goes on to say, the scripture does not even envision married couples who choose not to have children. The shocking reality is that some Christians have bought into this lifestyle and claim childlessness as a legitimate option. The rise of modern contraceptives has made this technologically possible, but the fact remains that though childlessness may be made possible by the contraceptive revolution, it remains a form of rebellion against God's design and order. Oof. Uh, apparently fighting he is, words. <laughs> he, he's thought about this and developed a conviction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but... It's more than just a conviction for him. I mean, he's taking this and not saying this is right or wrong for me based on my conscience. He's saying this is true for all Christians. And the argument that he uses, uh, essentially, the biblical argument he uses is, and again, this is quoting him, the scripture points to barrenness as a great curse and children as a divine gift. And he quotes Psalm 127, where it says children are a gift from the Lord. So he basically says, you know, look, if you are rejecting the gift of children, you are embracing a curse for yourself. Uh, whenever you're saying childlessness is our option, you're saying we would rather have a curse than any type of blessing God might give. Therefore, it is objectively wrong. You are rebelling against God by choosing the curse. What do you think of that argument? Yeah, I mean, there's there's certainly something to be said for the the argument from of just kind of the the whole testimony of scripture and the the thrust of scripture. Scripture absolutely does affirm the blessing of children in the lives of, of families. In fact, whenever scripture envisions the family unit, it's thinking of a husband, a wife, and children. 
Now, obviously, there are examples of, of barrenness, but again, that's, that's God's choice in the midst of that and, and not our own. Um, and so there, there, I think there is an argument to be made that direction. Yeah, um, because I mean, the, the fact remains that the Bible never presents to us in a narrative or anywhere else um, a married couple choosing childlessness for themselves. I don't Correct. think. None that I'm aware of. So, so yeah, I mean, that's a big hurdle to overcome is, okay, well, the, the Bible doesn't even entertain the option, it seems like. Mm-hmm. But then the, the, the thing is, can we go so far as to say that that necessitates essentially a law that states that you must have children if you are <laughs> physically capable? Yeah, so uh, focus on the family takes a softer approach here. Uh, as you can imagine, focus on the family softer than <laughs> Al Mohler. Uh, um, someone wrote in to them, and this is from, I don't know if we but have a date on this. Can I can I say one more thing before we oh, uh, sure. change positions there? Yeah, well, uh, and focus on the family isn't really a different position than oh, Al okay, Mohler. Okay. It's just a little softer. No, so, then go ahead. Okay. Uh, I don't know what the date is on this, but someone wrote in basically saying, is it okay not to have kids? My wife and I have been talking, and we're thinking... The parenting thing isn't for us. And they lead off by saying, no one can tell you what is okay, quote unquote, or quote unquote, not okay, when it comes to a decision as weighty as that of bringing a child into the world. Uh, Before you deliberately choose to forego parenthood, we think it's extremely important that you and your spouse examine and evaluate your motives. And goes on to say, um, it seems... It seems to be symptomatic of an attitude that rejects God's design for humanity, this idea that we would choose not to have children. So strong are our convictions in this regard that under normal circumstances, it is our opinion that couples should make it their goal to follow the divine pattern and look forward to a future that includes children. To state our view more plainly, we don't favor intentional childlessness. Now, the article also quotes Psalm 127, that children are a blessing, um, and you know, that's still a pretty strong stance that they're taking there. And in another article written by Jim Daly, he, uh, quoted the Al Mohler article and also quoted Rachel Jankovich writing for Desiring God saying, this is your calling is to have children. Uh, so there you go. There's a, there's a different spin on basically the same view. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it's interesting, you know, I find that article to be a little bit interesting if, when it starts out with saying, no one can tell you what is okay and not okay, and then it concludes with, oh, by the way, this isn't okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, the, if you wanted to put an ellipsis between the first line and one of the last lines, no one can tell you what is okay or not okay, dot, dot, dot. To state our view more plainly, we don't favor intentional <laughs> childlessness. <laughs> oh, Okay. Like there was a shift there. Where was uh-huh. that? Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting that um, I find that um, this this kind of approach is favored very heavily amongst, especially. Um, I, don't know, I find it pretty common in a lot of post millennial type circles mm-hmm. where they believe yep. that we are that you know if we're trying to usher in the kingdom if we're trying to set up God's kingdom here on earth that we yep. are conquering the world. One of the best ways to do that is to have a large quiverful, you know, the whole, that whole concept, the quiverful, lots of children mm-hmm. to engage with the world and conquer the world for Christ. Um, and 
I, I don't want to misrepresent the post-millennialist position on that, but that's, I mean, that's, I think it's pretty clear sure. that that's, that's kind of the, the position that they take, that one of the ways that we can wield greater influence in the world and bring about a greater coverage of God's kingdom here on earth is to populate this earth with more children that you will raise to be uh, faithful followers of Christ, that, that you will raise to teach them God's truth, that they may go out and influence the world for Christ. Yeah, and, and from a very practical standpoint, when you see Muslim families have on average 5.6 children or yeah. whatever, and Christian families have 1.8 children, whatever mm-hmm. those numbers are, you Mormon look at them families. And you say, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, Mennonites. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> when you, but when you look at it and say, okay, well, do we want our camp to have more of an influence? We better start having more kids. It, practically, it obviously makes sense. Yeah, from a pragmatic standpoint, absolutely. But is that a biblical argument? <laughs> and that's the question. Yeah, and and we do have to deal with, and we haven't mentioned it yet. I'm sure most of our listeners are thinking about it. The Genesis one command: be fruitful and multiply. This yeah. is what God told Adam and Eve: be fruitful and increase in number. Um, this is the first command that was given in all of Scripture. So we say, okay. Uh, that verse exists, that command exists, is that just for them? Was it just for them and their children? Was it just for the pre-flood generations? I mean, where's the cutoff line for that command? Uh, that's that's a genuine question to ask. Um, do you have a solid position on where you stand with that? Well, it's interesting because that command was also repeated to Noah as soon as they stepped off the ark in Genesis mm-hmm. chapter 9. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So it's not just that it was repeated again, you know, before it was confused to Adam and Eve, and then it was repeated again to Noah, which is is interesting. I don't know. Obviously, we could make the, the argument that could be made, well, yeah, that command had to be there for Noah because now there's only eight human beings on the earth because yeah. everybody else is dead. But uh, it is an interesting uh, point of reckoning that there is at least one level of continuity there between um, between the commands to to Adam and Eve and then to Noah and his children. Um, I think it's certainly it, I think it's certainly an argument that we have to consider and weigh. It's not something yeah. that we can dismiss. At the yeah. very least, we need to we need to reckon with that. Yeah, so th- there are some challenges to the view of this is a command for all of God's people, um, because not not everyone has children. Right. Not everyone should have children. Not There's every- a Got Questions article. Oh, go ahead. Um, well, it, does that? Uh, not everybody can have children. Yeah. Right. If, if that's what you're saying. So. Not everybody should have children because some people should remain single. That, yeah. Yeah. Um, fair enough. Yeah. So the there's a Got Questions article titled, What is the Importance of Procreation According to the Bible? And it walks through um, Psalm 127, Genesis 1, Genesis 9. And uh, there's another one of their articles. What was the name of that other one that I sent you beforehand, Ken? Um, what did God I mean think, when he told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply? Oh, yeah, good. Yeah, what did God mean when he, he said that? So... It brings up in these articles, okay, well, look, Jesus perfectly kept the law, and he wasn't fruitful in multiplying in this sense, right? He didn't have children. 
and he perfectly kept the law. So that's something you got to reckon with is mm-hmm. the, the perfect Israelite never had children. Um, the gift of singleness aspect, first Corinthians seven, there are people who are single for all of their lives to devote their lives to the Lord. They're set apart for service to the Lord and focus on the Lord intentionally. Um, they never have children. They're not fruitful and multiplying in that sense. Okay. But then you get to, well, and, and one more, you got married couples who are just infertile. They're mm-hmm. unable to have children. And so it's not um, a command they can obey because God has closed the womb. God has chosen to do that. All right. So you've got all those things going on, but then you've got remaining now in our conversation, the married couple who isn't even willing to try to have children, the Christian couple. Um, do we use those previous examples, Jesus, the single person um, who is set apart for the Lord, the couple who's infertile, as do we use those examples as the basis of it's not a command that applies to everybody, even the married couple who doesn't want to try? Or do we say, look, if you're married... It is your duty to try based on the command that was given in Genesis 1 and in Genesis 9. Well, there's also the... I don't know if I want to throw one more wrinkle into the midst of the conversation, <laughs> but... It might as well. Might as well. Uh, there's debate over whether or not be fruitful and multiply really ought to be understood as an imperative command or if it could ought to be understood as a blessing, like we would say be blessed. God bless you. Be blessed. Well, you can't force yourself to be blessed, but if the blessing is there, you know, it just, does that make sense of what I'm saying? Like God's yeah, saying, be fruitful not a and very multiply. Strong argument, I, don't, I don't think it is either, but, but it is a, it's a, it's a, a point that people raise and bring into the conversation oftentimes that God was giving a blessing to Adam and Eve. He wasn't necessarily making I think that's the the counter argument to the people who say it's a counter argument to the people who say this is not a command for all people. This was just this was a um, a, a statement of blessing on Adam and Eve to be fruitful. So, mm-hmm. and they were. Well, <laughs> the the got questions article lands here. He says, or I shouldn't say he. Um, whoever wrote this article says. Biblically, we can please God and bring him glory whether or not we have children. Marriage is not required and neither is having children. Even if we are not physically fruitful, we can be spiritually fruitful and multiply the citizens of the kingdom of God when we obey Jesus' command to go and make disciples of all nations. And this is perhaps closer to where you are on the subject. Um, You want to talk about your view on this and the issue of motives? Yeah, that's... So back in back in January, I took an ethics class, and I had a, a... Part of my final exam was answering uh, related... Essentially this issue. And as I was wrestling through that, my where I kind of landed on that is, is the motives really do play a huge, huge factor in the midst of this. We do not find an explicit command in Scripture that every... Uh, every married couple must have children, or must attempt must to have attempt children. to have children. Right? We do not find that command. So, so really, what we're what we're asking is, does the 
the general thrust of Scripture and the the uh, testimony of Scripture as far as children are a blessing from the Lord, and Scripture assumes children when it speaks about a family unit. Does all of that mean that, therefore, we infer a command or, or infer a responsibility and a duty to have children? And I... I don't think I'm quite comfortable making that step. Al Mohler certainly is comfortable making that step, as he articulated in his article. I don't think I'm quite comfortable making that step. I think that big testimony of Scripture, that overall testimony of Scripture, is weighty, and we need to consider that when making the decision. But for me, I really see the issue of motives being a critical factor in the midst of this. When so name, name one bad motive and one good motive. Sure. So if someone's motive is, I don't want the responsibility, I think that's a bad motive. Because it's a selfish motive. It's about my desires. It's about what I want. And this, this is really, you know, our culture screams about how, you know, you need to do what's, what's right for you, and nobody can tell you what to do, and it's all about you, 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 me, me, me. That could be... Possibly, potentially, I could be talked into. <laughs> That's a good motive for a couple that wants to go devote 15 hours a day, essentially, in a foreign mission field without children. Um, I can understand that. And, and once we start going down the road of people are deciding anyway, I mean, people are stopping at one, two, three, four, right. five, six kids. Right. They're, they're making a decision. And so who's to say you can decide to stop at this number as long as the number isn't zero, you can, you can stop. Right. Or I, I had um, a Mormon coworker of mine told me once that it was his, his belief that brief, be fruitful, multiply applies to them today. And that means at least two children. Because if you just have one, you're not multiplying. And if you have two, you're only multiplying by one. So in his view, it was three or more. There you go. <laughs> um, I, I think what we can say, though, at, when all things are considered, we can say this does not transcend hermeneutics. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> this is not a primary doctrine. Right. This isn't definitional to Christianity. The teaching of Scripture here does not transcend hermeneutics, but it is subject to the person studying Scripture and it really is a conscience issue. And so study it out and develop your conscience. Be informed, yeah. but don't treat this like it's a sin issue. I think when when Moeller went as far to say this is an objective rebellion against God, I think he, he crossed the line there. Yeah, and that's where, that's where um, he, when you're studying this out and you're developing your convictions, I encourage anyone listening to be honest about what they're finding and not to suppress potential convictional issues because I think Scripture does tend to point in one direction, and we gave some examples for, for some reasons of why it might be wise to, to refrain from having children, but Scripture certainly does uphold and, and embrace and encourage the blessing of children, and so we want to affirm that while also giving grace for potential areas of their aberrations. I mean, right? Where, would you agree with that, that this is the, the general direction of Scripture? Anytime there is a family where it would be wise to refrain from having children, that's an aberration. That's not... Yeah. It's not... It's abnormal. Absolutely. It, it should be viewed that way. Yeah. And so... 
you you know you may if you're deciding hey we're not going to have children you i, w- I want to hear you have really good reasons for that <laughs> yeah. well and that's and so what, what you just said is the last thing i want to say on this subject um don't use this episode as proof positive for whatever you believe mm-hmm. and say okay these guys said this i think it makes sense so we're going forward with it as a christian as a christian who's about to be married and thinking about marriage and family as a Christian couple who already is married dealing with this, you need to take this issue to the elders of your local church and get wisdom for your specific situation. Uh, this is just general principles and you need to develop a conviction there. But if you're struggling with this and you're not sure where to land on this, and especially if you're a married couple and you can't agree on this, you need to take it to the elders of your local church so they can talk through it with you. Talk about your motives. Talk about how you're thinking. And if they're godly men, you will walk away from that uh, with wisdom. Uh, God mm-hmm. will use them to impart wisdom into your life. Yes. That's why we, we may not be able to say as strongly as Al Mohler says that there is a right and there is a wrong on this in general broad strokes, but there is, I believe, there is a right and a wrong for you. With a guy, a guy like Moeller who says stuff like that, do we really want him doing theological triage? I mean, <laughs> let's just, let's be real here. Uh, you've come to the right place for <laughs> theological triage today. Uh, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, well, we sh- our chance at ever getting yeah. him as a guest. <laughs> if we're, if we're going to hit our second thing, we should jump on that because we're, okay, this, this is but starting it, to stretch. And I, I think that the, the second one is, uh, simpler. Yeah. I mean, it, it, living it out is much more difficult, or m- just as difficult, perhaps, but talking about it is simpler. So let's let's introduce it and get talking. Well, you want to do that, Ken? Yeah, the concept of casting pearls before swine. Okay, what is casting pearls before swine? Of course, that language comes from the Gospels, and I wish I had pulled up that passage. Um, Matthew 7, verse 6. There you go. Um, Matthew chapter 7, Sermon on the Mount, and verse 6. It, it seems kind of out of place when you read through the narrative. Um, it stands alone. <laughs> Jesus was just talking about, you know, the log and the speck in our eyes uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, and then he just gives this straightforward statement in verse 6. Do not give dogs what is sacred, and do not throw your pearls to pigs, or do not cast your pearls before swine. Um, interesting statement. Yeah. So yeah, the concept of pearls before swine, it's it's simply the the idea that you're offering up something essentially to someone that's not that's not going to appreciate what they're being offered, right? Whether you're engaged in a conversation, it's an argument, it's a debate, or or some kind of interaction of some kind where you are offering up pearls, it's something of, of value, it's something good, but it is not being received for what mm-hmm. it is by that other person. Uh, so that's that's kind of the concept of, of pearls before swine, and there's a variety of contexts that this this could apply. But the the, the challenging part is knowing <laughs> when have I gone from a fruitful conversation where perhaps I'm planting a seed, perhaps I'm I'm stirring someone's thinking, perhaps I'm being a useful uh, a useful tool in the hand of God to prod someone along. 
where does it cross the line from that to, okay, this is a completely useless conversation. This person has no appreciation. They are completely closed off to the what I'm trying to bring to the table here, and it is effectively pearls before swine at that point. Craig Blumberg, in his commentary, says, Jesus is obviously not telling his followers not to preach to certain kinds of people, but he does recognize that after, and this is the difficult part, after sustained rejection and reproach, it is appropriate to move on to others. <laughs> what, what's, what should our tolerance level be? And, and the scriptures don't give us any quantifiable measurement for what our tolerance level should be when it comes to evangelizing, counseling, debating, whatever it may be. And I, I think we just have to say, look, that line's going to be different for every person, right? I think so, and, and I think it takes... It takes wisdom and discernment, and sometimes that that line isn't always going to be clear. Where, mm-hmm. and, and that's where I think we have to we have to be willing to not be not be bothered by walking away from a conversation. Some people have a really mm-hmm. hard time with that, uh, and, and sometimes you know, especially if you're like scrolling through Facebook or something, and you see a post, and you just want to you want to comment or or whatever else you want to do. Sometimes it's hard to walk away from those conversations, or if you're engaged in a conversation and it's clear that it's not going anywhere fruitful, but the other person has the last word at the moment, and I just it's important for me to have the last word. It's hard sometimes to walk away, but, but we have to consider and, and be okay with walking away from a conversation, even when we haven't had the last word. And Proverbs talks about this quite a bit. Yeah. Um, Proverbs 8, 9 says, Do not rebuke a mocker, or he will hate you. <laughs> rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Well, what's the difference between a mocker and a wise man? Sometimes that's <laughs> hard to figure out, too. Um, and so th- there are there's some other Proverbs, though. You, we had talked about this before a little bit, and you were going to bring up, what is it, Proverbs 26? Yeah, Proverbs 26, verse 4. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. There's a fool... All right, if he's going to act the fool, let him act the fool. If you get involved, you're just going to stoop down to his level. Until we read the very next verse that says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. There's somebody, they're acting a fool, and it's appropriate to address them on that and, and instruct them and say, Hey, you know, this this is not appropriate, Whatever whatever the situation is, you're wrong in this area, and... You need to be humbled by this information. But when is the right time to answer a fool according to his folly or not answer the fool according Mm -hmm. to his folly? And that's where Scripture doesn't give us that clear-cut answer on all issues across the board. And this applies, I mentioned these three areas, but it applies to evangelism, obviously. I mean, you certainly, Christian, have had the experience of going round and round with somebody and eventually just saying... We got to stop. Yeah, <laughs> and um, and it isn't just okay. I'm tired, or okay, you know, I'm spinning my wheels. It's also you're saying I'm casting something precious and holy before someone who's trampling it underfoot mm-hmm. and mistreating it. Mm-hmm. And so, for the sake of the gospel itself, for the sake of Jesus's honor, I need to stop. Which is, uh, it adds a lot of weight to that decision 
by viewing it that way. This happens in counseling also. Uh, maybe you're working with somebody uh, trying to help that person mm-hmm. grow and deal with a particular sin, and that person is just not receiving counsel. What do you do? And it happens, too, in all kinds of debates that we have, even with our fellow Christians, yeah. uh, where perhaps we wouldn't go as far to say that they're swine, but we need to get to a point where we say, okay, uh, we need to stop because this is doing dishonor to the name of Christ. I think with with evangelism in particular, you know, there there are some... There are some individuals, and I think the more we interact with people about the faith, the more we'll begin to feel out, okay, which which kinds of individuals is are, are they going? We can have a fruitful conversation, or is this just going to fall on deaf ears and it's not going to be fruitful? You begin yeah. to feel that out the more you have them. There are going to be some individuals that their goal is just to to prod you and poke you and and. They're not there. They're not interested in the conversation to actually have a conversation. They're they're just interested in mocking you, or yes. uh, they're just being very. Um, uh, they're scoffers, right? The Bible talks about they're scoffers, and they have no interest in potentially even thinking through anything. Okay, in those situations, it's to me it seems pretty clear that when they are just mocking and they're scoffers. Yeah, God can use you to to plant a seed in their heart, but most in, in many times, I think there's there's situations where that is a pearls before yeah. swine situation. And there will be some Christians who will be done after hearing one sentence from those people, mm-hmm. and they'll move on. And then there'll be other Christians who will spend an hour with them and maybe schedule another meeting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and both sides I think are okay on that as long as you're thinking biblically about this and you're not naive, you're not ignorant of what Scripture has to say about mocking and scoffing and all of that. Right. Yep. And then there there are some individuals that you're going to talk to that you know are you going to see them come to faith in Christ? Maybe, maybe not. But at least there's a a fruitful conversation there where you're having a respectful discussion back and forth. So it just—and at what point does it cross that line? Sometimes that line is pretty—it's a pretty fine line. So—and I think just the more more times we engage people, the more we kind of get a feel for that. You mentioned counseling. Um, Yeah, some people just will not receive counsel. You know, I've I've taken a number of biblical counseling courses at uh, both undergrad and graduate level, and that's something that different uh, professors have stressed over time, that some individuals, they're there so that they can say they they tried to get help. They're not there to actually change anything. Mm -hmm. And we we have no power to help those people. Right. They are... Yes, God. God could use the word to to prod their thinking, but ultimately, if someone will not be helped, there is none so blind as he who will not see. Right? That's that's yeah. a that famous quote applies in a, in a number of a number of areas. And, and you get to the point where you reckon with, I'm squandering the resources God has given me, my time, right. my efforts, the gifts that God has given me. Um, I am wasting those things on this person, and it's so hard for us as limited creatures who are not omniscient mm-hmm. to make those calls because all of us at a time in the past, we were stubborn. We weren't listening. Uh, people should have given up on us from a worldly perspective. Right. But um, but what we'd have to do when we make these decisions now is just trust the Lord that, look, you know, through prayer, just say, Lord, I, I'm going to, I'm looking at just being done here. 
show me if I'm wrong. Don't let me, you know, get away from this if that is not your will. Um, and, and even though we stop, we continue to pray for that person, mm. and we continue to ask the Lord to work in their lives. And if it's through us or through someone else, uh, you know, we just want that person to come to a place of truth. I think the last area to to address, and we probably don't need to spend a ton of time on this, but I submit to you, dear listener, that 99% or perhaps even higher percentage than that of all social media debates about one thing or another is probably pearls before swine. (laughs) I think there are times where we can have fruitful conversations on social media, but I just so seldomly see that happening. And any time that there is intense debate, I I just don't see, maybe I'm overstating things, I don't know. But to me, from, from my perspective, that's just the way it seems as though um, social media debates are not, not fruitful. And I think I probably have overstated it because we're putting this in the, in the third column. This is a wisdom thing. If you feel like you, if, yeah. I'm going to stop talking for a second. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there is the the adage, it's kind of a spin on this statement from Jesus, but the, the quote, don't wrestle with a pig because you'll only get dirty and the pig will like right. it, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. And what you have so often on social media, online, when people get into debates is you've got people on both sides coming to it with bad motives with uh, with minds that are not open, minds that aren't even thinking about good and correct debating and conversational skills. Like you just have people who are just acting like pigs on both sides coming together just to fight. And, and you got to recognize if you're trying to have a genuine conversation when you're going into those, if that person acting like a pig, and if so, it's probably best just to stay away. And you can't communicate or necessarily accurately discern tone and body language, which we rely on in normal conversation. We rely so much on tone and body language to to help us inform us of what the other person is saying, what they mean by it. That is simply not there online. So There have been several times I've been in conversations online where I've told the other person, hey, let's have a video chat about this or yes, call me. that's a good idea. Um, and only one person has ever taken me up on it, and it took maybe 10 times of me giving that person, that specific person, that specific invitation, uh, because a lot of people don't want honest conversation. Yep. They want to get dirty yep. and have a nasty interchange. Yep. So. And I think that's a good way to, if you want, if you really want to pursue those conversations, seek out some level of uh, live interaction that way. Yeah, that's it. Yep. All right. Well, here we are. This has been fun. (laughs) It's been something. (laughs) It's been something. (laughs) Yes, yes. All right. Well, next week, uh, we're going to be coming coming at you with an interview. Probably the next two weeks, there's going to be interviews. um, And look forward to those. Had some interesting conversations with some people to be named later. You'll find out. And uh, thank you for joining us for this conversation. Please send us questions. If I mean... Like my wife bringing up her thoughts on our last episode is what provoked us to go into more conversation in this episode. So if you have thoughts, things that we've missed out on, we want to know about those. Send us an email at show at dotheology.com or message us on Facebook or on Twitter. You can find us there too at dotheology. 
Thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, do theology. Whoa. <laughs> 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 oh, that was great. <laughs> <laughs>